Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the African Fantasy Football Podcast with myself, Adam Spio, and my ever-present co-host, Sabello Mpongo. Sabello, brother, how are you doing? How was Game Week 7 for you? Game Week 7 was terrible, bro. Hi, Adam. How are you? But yeah, Game Week 7 was terrible. I got... Comparing to what the points I got in game week six and looking into game week seven, nah, that was awful. How did it go for you, though? Um, well, I didn't necessarily like it. Um, so for all the FPL fans out there, I'm a very, very dedicated FPL um manager to the extent that I've got three accounts, and only two of my accounts were able to reach the average number of points. I think forty five, and then one passed, but the other one, the main one that I have, I was one point shy of the total. And my captain, he didn't blank, but he just couldn't perform at his best because of the results of the overall game. Um, So, yeah, wasn't necessarily a good game week for me. I didn't see any greens moving up for me. So, yeah, that also really sucked. And uh, I think I just have to deal with it for this game week but hopefully it improves for the subsequent games because I cannot afford to be failing the way I did. To our audience we do apologize for not having to preview game week 7 on the podcast last week we just were too occupied with a number of activities and couldn't do it but we are here now which is important. So let's just dive in straight to the games from last week the predictions for the highest scoring goal game, FPL points wise, and lowest scoring game, FPL point wise. What was your overall assessment of game week seven? But game week seven was, I didn't expect most of these score lines that I saw. But, you know, I guess that's football in essence. I guess that's why we love the game, right? But for me, I expected United to win against Palace because they're at home. And, you know, Palace is not their most difficult opponent. So I expected them to do better than they did. And But the shock of the weekend has to be Manchester City, you know. So I guess you can say it was a bad week in Manchester. But, you know, my favorite team, Arsenal, won 4-0, which was pretty dope. I'm glad that we won. And then... Yeah, Liverpool. How did you feel about Liverpool this weekend, Adam? I know it's your favourite. Well, I really don't want to get into it deeply, but one thing I will say is that sports is such a human-centred activity where a lot of feelings and emotions tend to run wild. So it's important that the people who are custodian of the sport, do the right thing at the highest quality. I'm not a fan of excuses or apologies from the the PGMOL. It's it's just something I don't even want to hear, right? If people are doing their job very well, there's no way we'd have to face certain situations. It's really as simple as that. And... I don't like the fact that I have to be struggling just to enjoy games 
because people are not doing their job. For me, it was a, it was a disgusting game. Um, both red cards, very uncalled for, very unprofessional from the referee. But this is not a a reaction to Premier League games podcast. This is an FPL podcast. So I will say I was glad that Son got a goal. That got me some points to just keep me even. But overall, I think it was a very terrible, very, very terrible game that um cost us big time. It, it could have been better, but it really cost us big time. Yeah, I got to say, it was, it was an injustice towards you guys. But, you know, they keep on saying they're working on it, but, you know, it's a chat for another day. 100%. 100%. So, for me, the game that really stood out last week was um, the Arsenal game. I didn't expect a win of 4-0, but I was very excited to see that the boys were able to push through and do very well. And also Brighton and Villa, I was very disappointed. In fact, prior to that game week, I did see an article on the FPL, the PL app, which was saying or suggesting that we should sell Brighton assets. And I was like, what do you mean by sell Brighton assets? They're probably going to do all against Villa. And to end up losing 6-1 with Estupinian scoring an own goal and giving me minus two, I think I've gotten to the point where I'm very confident that I I want nothing to do with Brighton players moving forward. However, it's a very tricky dilemma because when you look at the um the fixtures to come, out of the next five, three of them, which are back to back to back games, have a fixture difficulty rating of two. And then the immediate first two, which is a fixture rating of four against Liverpool and then five against Man City. Is it time for us managers to be convinced that we need to get rid of Brighton assets, regardless of the fact that for the next five game weeks, they would have three game weeks where they can get maximum of nine points? I'd say don't get rid of all of them just yet. Maybe keep the attackers, you know, but... Yeah, I was pretty shocked when I saw the result myself. I couldn't believe that I was watching the Brighton that we've come to praise thus far in this season. I didn't think they would lose six. Six, bro. Six is a lot. But, 100%. you know, I definitely, I definitely let go. So I, missed, I got minus two from Mr. Pinan as well. Wasn't exactly happy about that. But, you know, what can you do? But Brighton, I don't believe, I think that they want to prove that that that, that lose was just a fluke. So I'm expecting they will probably play well this coming week. They'll probably just take that lose on their chin because they know everybody is already feeling some type of way about them. So they're trying to get the people to fall back in love with them. So I wouldn't let them go just yet. Maybe a few defenders, a few players, but you know, we all know those key players that show up for Brighton when they need them. I don't know where they were this past weekend, though, but, you know, they have those players. Yeah, because in my mind, I'm like, where was Ferguson? Where was Joao Pedro? Joao Pedro, I believe, started that game. Um, I think Ferguson came on, if my memory serves me right. Solely March yeah. really couldn't do much. 
And that really affected me. That affected the number of points I could get. So for me, I know you're saying that we should still hold on to them. But to be honest, I'm getting rid of, at least when it comes to the midfielders and the defenders, I'm getting rid of my Brighton assets. I think I will still stick to even Ferguson because his potential to score goals is high. I don't want to hop onto the bandwagon yet. Aston Villa, a very interesting team. What was your take on their 6-1 win? Honestly speaking, I did not see it coming at all. And I was very surprised that they were able to pull off such a performance. Yeah, I didn't see it coming as well. They were playing so well. Even in the first few minutes, they they played great. They took their chances when they came. And Ali Watkins, you know... If you are a PR manager, I definitely look into to getting him. He played very well, got a hat trick, and a very well deserved hat trick. None of those goals were a fluke. I guess now the question is can they carry this form into other games, or was it just a fluke? I guess only time will tell. 100%. And as it stands, Watkins is the player. In FPL, with the most points, he's ahead of the likes of Salah, of the likes of Haaland, of the likes of Son as well. And in the next five games, all their fixture difficulty rating are of two. Is it time for us to double up, triple up on Aston Villa assets where perhaps we have a Oli Watkins and a Diaby in midfield or an Oli Watkins and a Matty Cash? Because... I believe that with such, such good games, it's only evident that if Aston Villa take their chances, perhaps they can finish in the top six this season again. Now, definitely. If they take their chances like they did against Brighton, I expect that they'll do pretty well going forward in this season. And I'd say it's time to get those Aston Villa players. I mean, they play so well from the back. And so the, the goalkeeper, they play as a unit. That's one thing I like about them. So FPL managers get those Austin Villa players. 100%. I, I think this is the first time we've agreed at the same time with the, with the, with the number yeah. of players coming through in the team. So it's evident that we really know what we're talking about. Two teams yeah. I'm very disappointed in watching week in, week out. It's Everton and Manchester United. Brother, take us through. Why are they failing so much this season? With Everton, uh, towards the tail end of the season, last season, um, they were doing very bad, I'd say. I think they were in the relegation zone for some time. And then now you can see that they carried that into the season as well. And even if even when you watch them, you can tell these people they better than this. Like there's something missing from that team. I don't know whether it's a it's a it's a, it's a managerial thing. Is it a team thing? I'm not sure, but something has to be changed. And when it comes to Manchester United, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know what's wrong with them. They can't win anywhere. They can't win anywhere. But a good thing for United fans is that uh, Hoyland 
they found themselves a striker that can do well, that can score. You scored a brace in the Champions League. But how much can you actually do, you know? But, you know, yeah. it's going to take some fixing, Adam. It's going to take some fixing. Yeah, I think United's problem goes beyond even the players. And a lot of people are complaining about the owners and the coach. But at the end of the day, it's the players on the pitch who have the ability to shine or not. We are seeing that for a team like Newcastle, they may not have the best of players, but they're finding a way to play as a unit, which is very important. And this even brings the question, Almiron scored a goal against Burnley. Isak also got a goal as well. And looking at their next five fixtures, apart from the fact that two of their games have a difficulty rating of three and four, which is against West Ham and Arsenal respectively. The other two, the other three have a rating of two. And we've seen that Trippier is in a very good run of form. We've seen that Almiron is a good run of form. Isaac is a good run of form as well. Is this time for FPL managers to triple up on Aston, on Newcastle assets? knowing very well that there's an opportunity for them to benefit from. A game like West Ham versus Newcastle will definitely have a lot of goals on there, which will benefit managers. Because, of course, this season, clean sheets are more or less not a regular occurrence. For sure, if you don't have Newcastle players in your team, get at least one or two Newcastle Looking very good. I just think that they like they lack consistency. You know, they don't perform when you need them to perform. That's something they have to fix. But overall, it's a good team. They're doing better than most teams in the Premier League. And if I, if it was me having to 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 sign a player from Newcastle, I'd get either Alexander Isak, Kieran Trippier, Sven Botman, uh, Nick Pope. Or like a Victor Guimaraes, or there's a lot you can get actually. There's mm. a lot you can get, but definitely uh, get get those Newcastle players. Which specific players would you handpick? I'm here thinking that Almiron has a very good shout. Trippier, in fact, I think is the highest pick for any manager wanting to invest into. Um, a Newcastle asset, given the fact that he had a hat trick of assist when they bamboozled Sheffield United. Do you think players like I know Barnes is injured, so Amaron gets a very good shout? Does Anthony Gordon get a good shout for you as well? Anthony Gordon, I don't know, I'm very torn about Anthony Gordon. I mean, he, he's a good player, but you know, he's very selfish. I hate when I watch a player and he can see you can see him pick up his head and make that and and see that he could make a pass and not make it. So, as someone that played football that still plays for fun, um, it's annoying when someone sees that they can make a pass where another player is in an easier position, so that you can finish and get the goal, but instead go for himself and miss regardless. So, mm. I don't know. I don't know about him. Would you get him? I think I'm I think I'm comfortable with Amaron, knowing very well that unlike 
Barnes, sorry, not Barnes, unlike Anthony Gordon, he's always in there to create when he sees the chances. And I think he's gelled or he's, he's created a better relationship with the players because, of course, he's he's been there for how many seasons now, right? So it probably will take Anthony Gordon a while to adapt. But, of course, to be top in the Premier League, you need to first be a team player before an individual. So let's see, let's see how Eddie Howe is able to handle things for the boys moving forward. But yeah, I'm always saying exciting times ahead. A team I was very surprised to see them win was Crystal Palace. And I say this because they lost to Manu in the League Cup. Do you think that was intentional by Roy Hodgson in order to be smart? And knowing very well that this season, they've not been too bad. I mean, a player who has stood out and performed very well is, is um, Joachim Anderson. And for their next five game weeks, two of them have a fixture difficulty rating of three and four, which is Spurs and Newcastle, respectively. The other three are all two. Is it time for us to be looking at Crystal Palace assets? preferably those in defence, or it's not enough of a shot for us to really invest into their players? Uh, with Crystal Palace, with them beating United after they were thrashed 3-0 by the same United, I think Ray Hoxton uh, stepped up his game because he knew, okay, we're facing this very same team this weekend. And then I think Eric Ten Hag took his foot off the pedal because he figured, okay, we beat these people 3-0. We might as well mm. we could beat them again. So we don't need, really need to focus that much because it was a few days apart. So by coming to signing Crystal Palace players, I like what you said about signing the defenders. As we know that Crystal Palace is not a team that gets a lot of points. I mean, a lot of goals. And Anderson, yeah, he's been spectacular. By getting Crystal Palace players, I'd say maybe if you can get like one, I wouldn't get too much Crystal Palace players, you know, because they're not a very consistent side. And and um, FPL really relies on consistency of certain players and certain teams. 100%. I think that's a very interesting point of view that you've got there. Luton played two games in this game week. Unfortunately, they lost one, but they got their first win of the season, which is exciting to see. I know they have the cheapest players, and of course, managers will always want to bring in cheap players so that they can create spaces for some of the expensive players that they can add to their teams, like the Salas, the Sons, and the whatnot. Do you think and I know this may be a very interesting question to ask because, of course, in one's mind, you're trying to be fair in your judgment, but at the same time, too, you're facing the reality. For Luton's next five games, only one has a fixture difficulty rating of two. Two of them have a fixture difficulty rating of three, which is Spurs and Aston Villa. And the other two have a difficulty rating of four, which is Liverpool and Manu, respectively. I know we don't invest into 
Luton forwards because, of course, they've not scored as many goals this season. But looking into the long-term approach for the season, especially coming through halfway through into the season, do you think having Luton assets, especially in midfield and attack, can be good for managers moving forward? Uh, the Luton players, I don't know if you saw, but the Luton, when, when they won, I think their goals came from set pieces. So in terms of signing Luton players, I'd look at those people that take those set pieces and um, their defenders, their full backs. I noticed they play pretty well. You know, it's just that the final product is not there up front. Even if you look at how much they lose, they don't lose by that much. You know, they don't lose as bad. They don't lose like 10 nils or 5 nils week in, week out. So the problem has to be at the front. So when signing Luton players, I'd say look for the people that create the chances and the people that help them defend. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point. I, on the other hand, I'm just really disappointed that uh, there really isn't much to the game. But of course, it's, it's expected as a new club in the Premier League, it's going to be very tough for you to survive. And it's 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 one where it's a no-brainer sometimes where you will be beaten, you will lose games. But seeing that they've won a game, I'm very happy for them. And I just really look forward to seeing better performances from them. West Ham versus Sheffield United. Bowen is really enjoying a good run of form. I can clearly see, in fact, all managers can clearly see that Ward Prowse is also enjoying this new role and position in a club that, you know, he more than deserves to be in. Looking at West Ham's next five fixtures, where few of them have a fixture difficulty rating of two, which is against Everton and Nottingham Forest, respectively. The other two having a fixture difficulty rating of three, which is Aston Villa and Brentford, respectively. And then the next game week, against Newcastle is the only game with four. Do you think it's time for us to have two to three Western assets in our team? Perhaps maybe a Jared Bowen and a Ward Prowse or a Bowen and a Kudus or a Bowen and um, what's this guy's name? Suchek. Do you think it's time? Because I would want to take advantage of the ratings of three and two knowing very well that Perhaps maybe they can get 12 points, 9 to 12 points out of these games? Uh, definitely. As you were saying, um, it's a, the, the, the players at West Ham are enjoying their football. Like you say, Ward Prowse. I feel Ward Prowse is enjoying his game because, you know, back at Southampton, he had to carry the team. And then here, he can just be himself and play his football. And you can see when he plays that, you know, he doesn't have that pressure of, oh, he's our star boy. He just plays his football. And when he enjoys, you can see he plays really well. This is the best I've seen of Ward Prowse in years. Or ever even. So, with the upcoming fixtures, this coming game week, they face Spurs. So, that's going to be a real test for them. But... I wouldn't rule no, them the out. No, face just this coming game week they face Newcastle. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Newcastle. That's also gonna be a test, you know, considering that it's 
two teams that that are um, almost on the same quality. Right, right. That's what I was trying to say. So it's gonna be a pretty even match, and it could go either way. So mm. and and signing in um, West Ham players, I definitely get a few. Gerald Bowen is playing pretty well. I have one in my team. I have Miguel Antonio. Um, but oh, but he's bang average, bro. Yeah. Sorry, no offense to FPL managers who <laughs> are West Ham fans. Yeah, continue. Yeah, I have him. And uh, as you were saying, players like Suchik, I definitely get Suchik. is great. He saved them a few times last season. You know, he, he's a wall there at the back. But West Ham, overall, I feel like they're that team that don't really have consistency. But... I definitely get West Ham assets, you know, just to play them every now and then. And they give you some points for sure. 100%. For me, I do enjoy the fact that Bowen is doing very well. I've never doubted the fact that he's a top, top player. I think he'll be one of the standout performers that people wouldn't expect coming into the halfway stage of this season and then long-term through the season as well because he's looking very sharp and he's the kind of player that once you feed him very well, he will most certainly do what is important and get you the points. So, of course, for all the FPL managers out there, do invest into a Boeing, do invest into a Suchik or perhaps do invest into a Boeing and the world pass, knowing very well that there's an opportunity for you to get a lot of points, especially with this incoming game week, and then be a part of the managers doing very well. Wolves, Man City. What happened in that game? Very shocked that Guardiola lost his first game this season, couldn't keep a clean sheet, and also couldn't go on beating this season and losing to a side that is really struggling this season. What 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 really went wrong? You know what I think it is, Adam? I think uh, Man City looked at this fixture and, you know, they said, okay, we're playing Wolves. So I don't think they, they went with the same mentality as they go if they play, let's say, maybe a Arsenal or a Spurs. They just took it as, as a Wolves. They've been doing bad thus far. We're going to them, but then how bad could we do? I mean, even watching that game, I don't think that's the best of City we've seen this season. They could have done better in that game for sure. I guess Wolves just took their chances when they came, you know. They scored mm. two goals, you know. They didn't get too many opportunities in that game as well. I guess it's, it's one of those games. Yeah, that's tough. That's really tough. And... I wouldn't enjoy wanting to see that week in, week out, knowing very well that I've invested a lot of money into assets from Man City, who I believe can be very instrumental for me. But seeing that they're not able to get the points there at the end of the day and really just do what is necessary, it's a real burden for me. Looking at the fact that Haaland got only two points. Two points. 
for a player who's been, you know, given a good shot for this year's Ballon d'Or, a player who broke records last season, and a game like Wolves, you you would expect him to probably score a brace, right? But he struggled to even get an assist. Alvarez got a goal, but that was not enough to save them. So is this the right time for us to start to reevaluate our approach when it comes to setting key players? I know that Ellen Haaland is owned by 91.5% of managers. And looking at the fact that he's had some couple of unfavorable blanks this season, in game week seven against Wolves, he had two points. In game week two against Newcastle, he had two points. Game week three against Sheffield, he had four points. And he's not really been able to give us 10 points or more consistently. Is it time for us to rethink our approach to Erling Haaland or we should still have faith in him and City assets? Because, of course, with the next five game weeks, only one team, one game, has a fixture difficulty rating of two. The other two have a fixture difficulty rating of three, which is against Brighton and Chelsea, respectively. And two games have a fixture difficulty rating of four, which is next week, to us, away to Arsenal. And then in game week 10, they're away to Man U at Old Trafford. Are you convinced, or should be managers be convinced that maybe we can sell Haaland for a short period of time, bring in a cheaper option like a Watkins, keep Alvarez in there, and maybe have a striker like um, Ferguson or Darwin? Or we should be confident that Haaland can get us the points that we need in these tough games to come. I don't know if you remember when I told you how ineffective Haaland is without Kevin De Bruyne. Last season... I remember you broke, said it. Yeah. Last season, he broke many records with Kevin De Bruyne by his side. And um, this season, Kevin De Bruyne has been out for long. And, you know, the results speak for themselves. He got two points. Two points. Imagine how many people captained Haaland this past week. And he's been getting a shout for a Ballon d'Or. So it really makes you think. And in, you're right, we should definitely change our approach when looking at certain players because, you know, like this has proven that there's no surefire way of making, of getting consistent points every week. And just to show you that, you know, at the end of the day, these players are human. They drop in form. They, they play bad, you know, and it happens. But, you know, Man City is Man City. And their next 100%. few games... Their next few games aren't the worst. You know? They play, up against, they play against Arsenal this coming week. That's going to be crazy. I can't wait to see it. But I wouldn't let go. If anything, if people don't have Man City players besides Haaland, of course, I get defenders. Even though Pep is always rotating. So, yeah, even there you must be very careful when getting um, Man City players. But their upcoming fixtures, they're not that difficult. I think 
after Arsenal. Oh yeah, it's Brighton after Arsenal, so it's gonna be interesting. And then after that, I don't think they face strong games. This is probably the most underwhelming Manchester derby in some years, but I don't think City will lose this game. Mm. I think that makes a lot of points. One player who is really given a very good shout to be included in almost any team is Julian Alvarez. In fact, I am very surprised, very surprised that Alvarez is only owned by 32% of managers, whereas Haaland is owned by 91.5%. But at the same time, it does make sense that Haaland has proven himself last season with the outstanding performance that he had, right? So, of course, you would be mad, quote-unquote, to not have him in your team. But like you said, he's human. And anyone who is human will definitely struggle moving forward. And this year, with this year's Champions League and in the mind's eye of a lot of fans, why don't Pep and the boys try and replicate what they've done for this season? But of course, it's definitely not going to be a walking pack. Nobody does a treble back-to-back. But let's see. Let's let's really see. Let's see how the... The game should go. But for me, I don't think I'm convinced I want to get rid of Haaland yet. I know that he will pull through for me and all other FPL assets. Looking at the Tottenham-Liverpool game again, we've seen that this season, Ange has completely revolutionised how his players play. I mean, using Son as a number nine, that's wild. And being successful at it, that is very wild. That shows a sign of a very, very good coach with a huge potential. Given the fact that Spurs have four out of the next five games, have a fixture difficulty rating of two, which are Luton, Fulham, Palace and Wolves. And the only quote-unquote top game is against Chelsea with a fixture difficulty rating of three. Is this the right time for us to try and bring in the likes of Madison, Son and Kulusevski? Do you think they've given us managers enough incentive to say that invest into all three of us and have us in your squad? Uh, definitely. Um, Spurs, okay, nobody can ignore how well they've been doing. I guess that's an effect of a coach because when the coach came in, he didn't really signed too many players, you know. And I heard in an interview that he wasn't really the first choice to take over at Spurs, but he's the man that got the job and he's he's proving his worth right now. Mm. I mean, look at the players that he played. Antonio Conte didn't play um, Yves Basuma um, when he, in his reign, but now Yves Basuma is playing consistently and he plays well. Spurs, they came back there was a week when they won in the 90th minute. They were losing for long. And then at the dead end of the game, they yeah. came back somehow. That was against Sheffield. That was two game weeks ago. Charleston had a had a, a goal and an assist. It's crazy. And Richardson is another one. Richardson, when he first got to Spurs, you know, everybody was saying how bad of a play he is and whatnot and whatnot. But 
you know, like ever since, I mean, as you said, I guess it's just a testament of, you know, good coaching. It's just a testament of good coaching. And you can see even the way the players play, they play for their coach because the mm. coach really believes in them. So getting those Spurs assets, for sure, I have a few Spurs assets myself. I have I have Kulisevsky and I have the goalkeeper Vicario. But I definitely get uh, a son. I get a son. If I had the money, I would get son. And and Madison, you know, Madison, considering that the team he played for got relegated and, you know, he wasn't in the best form towards the tail end of the season. Even when Spurs signed him, I was like, what are these guys doing signing this guy? But, you know, he's he's proved his word. He's proved his word. So 100%. if you don't have Spurs players in your team, get a few. Oh, this is going to be a very long season for you. Yeah, 100%. I think Madison is a, it should be a long stay in most people's teams. And Son as well. That is if you are confident that they'll do very well. I, at the moment, I believe I have Son in one of my teams and I have Kulizevsky in one of my teams as well. And I also have Madison in one of my teams. And I know that they'll be doing very well this season. So I'm confident that doubling up and tripling up on them will definitely do you well. Forest versus Brentford. Bro, to be very honest, I'm very disappointed with how Brentford has started this season. With all the hype that was going around with Brian Mbuemo, I really, I really haven't enjoyed the success in the way which I should be. And of course, given that for the next five game weeks, only two games have a fixture difficulty rating of two, which is Burnley and West Ham. The other ones have one is three against Chelsea and two of them are four, which is against Man U for the next game week. And then in game week 12 against Liverpool. Do you think it's time for us to get rid of Brighton assets completely and look for players who are doing very well with similar price input? Because of course, Aston Villa assets are doing very well. Spurs assets are doing very well. Arsenal assets are doing very well. Liverpool assets are not too bad themselves. And they're in and around the price of players like Buemo and Visa. Is it time for us to say, you know what? We're done with these players. Let's just move on to top players who can do the job for us. Perhaps maybe when their difficulty ratings become much better, we may bring them in. I'm definitely going to get rid of Mbwemo and one of my teams. I kid you not. I'll definitely get rid of him as well. Nah, I think I think it's that's that's time for for the Brentford players. I mean, with with the way they started the season, I expected them to be to be doing way better than they're doing right now. And I don't know what happened, but I definitely get rid of them. I don't see them getting any better. If they do, then I'm wrong. But then I don't see them getting any better. If we can get a better player and a better team for the same price, then why not? You know? It's like almost staying at some place where you don't enjoy, but you could go to another place and still enjoy for the same amounts of money. It, it just doesn't make sense. So 
you could get a few replacements for for, for Brentford players from Newcastle, West Ham, Austin Villa, those type of teams. You know, that's the nice 100%. thing about PL. There's no player that you can't pick. So, I definitely jump ship on on, on Brentford. One hundred percent. On the other hand, I believe Nottingham Forest is doing quite well this season. Um, it's it's not been easy for them, but to be able to survive the Premier League last season and be on the okay, let me put it that way, the okay run of form that they're currently on, should managers start to look at the potential of maybe perhaps thinking of bringing in players from Nottingham Forest because out of their next five game weeks, two games have a fixture difficulty rating of two, which is in game week eight and game week nine back-to-back against Palace and Luton. One game has a difficulty of four, which is against Liverpool in game week 10. And then the next two have a fixture difficulty rating of three, which is against Aston Villa and West Ham, respectively. Should we start to at least consider assets like Elanga, assets like Awoini, or they haven't given enough of a shout, enough of a reason for us to put in money there? Uh, for sure. You know, I'd get a few Forest players. They haven't played the best, but, you know, I, I feel there's something that's coming there. Like you said, Tayo Awani, he's been playing very well. And Doni Langa has been playing well. They've been very crucial in their team. But me, I don't think I'd get one right now. Not at least until maybe they they show a bit of more promise, a bit of more consistency. Maybe they're not start considering players. But I can't deny the fact that, you know, they are trying something there and it might work. Um, but yeah, only time will tell. 100% only time will tell. For me, the most inconsistent big team this season is Chelsea, and everyone will agree with it. Finally, 007 squad, uh, which is exciting to see. However, I'm very disappointed that Fulham couldn't even get a draw from this game at home. Chelsea's next five games... One game has a fixture difficulty rating of five, which is against City in game week 12. One has a fixture difficulty rating of four, which is home to Arsenal in game week nine. Then a difficulty rating of three against Brentford and Spurs, game week 10 and 11. And then in the next game week, they face Burnley away. I'm not even going to ask this question because I'm definitely not going to take that advice, but what should managers do? Managers who do have Chelsea assets, seeing that also Gusto got a red card not too long ago and Chiwa was still injured, James, we're not really sure. What should FPL managers who have Chelsea assets do, given that the next five games are going to be a real bumpy ride for them? Chelsea players... I, only, I think only Chelsea fans have Chelsea players in their team. I don't know nobody that has a Chelsea player in their team. 
I wouldn't get Chelsea players, but they have been a disappointment. Not just this season. I think from the bulk end of last season, and and then this season so far since it started, at least they got a win. Even though I don't know how they got that win, but it's a win regardless. Mudrik scored. I think Proha as well scored. Proha is back. The last time he was playing as well, he he scored a few goals. So I don't know if Poch, it's something that he's watching. But getting Chelsea players right now, I don't think so. We'll speak maybe after Christmas. Maybe if they catch some form, maybe then you could sign players. But for now, I don't see myself getting any Chelsea players. Yeah. Well, in the next five fixtures. 100%. I'm, I'm definitely not investing into... Chelsea players, and I would advise FPL managers not to invest into them as well. Although Fulham lost, they do have an interesting set of games in the next five games. Next week, they're, or this incoming game with game week eight, they're home to Sheffield, which has a difficulty rating of two. And then the next four from game week nine to game week 12, are all with a fixture difficulty rating of three, which is away to Spurs, away to Brighton, home to United, and away to Aston Villa. Do we think there have been a few players from Fulham that have proved their worth to be added or considered to an FPL manager's team? Because I am not directly seeing players that I want to splash cash on especially knowing very well that these players may not get goals or assists week in, week out. And their difficulty ratings of three back-to-back-to-back-to-back can be a real problematic one for managers. Now, Fulham, I'm not so sure about Fulham, but as you said, they have an interesting run coming up. But I don't expect them to do particularly well because they're not a particularly consistent team. I don't know if you watch Fulham, but they have great players. You know, when they want to play, they play. It's definitely, yeah, it's it's, it's a tough one, you know. I can't even lie. I'm, I'm a bit torn about this one. But me personally, I don't think I buy Fulham players. They're not that good, you know. They're not good enough just to... To get them in your fantasy team, I feel if you get a Fulham player, they'll be good one one game week and be bad the following. You know, because looking at their results, it's a win lose, win lose, win lose, and they lost to Chelsea. So if that's any indication of what type of team it is, would you get any Fulham players? Uh, I'm really struggling, honestly. I don't think I would. Uh, I don't want to miss out on important aspects of. FPL, because points are very important. We cannot, we really, 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 really cannot emphasize on how important that is. And I wouldn't want to, I really, really want to miss out on. So we've gone through the games from game week seven. Who was the standout performer for you? Goes without saying, the standout performer for me has to be Ollie Watkins. I mean, he got that hat-trick. His team played very well. And it's not easy to get a hat-trick 
especially against Brighton, which is a top team. And having the, beating them 6-1, I'd say they are the team of the week. And Oli Watkins is my player of the week. What about you? 100%. I, I'm impressed with him, knowing very well that, of course, it's not easy to get a hat-trick. And we've seen his potential week in, week out. In fact, we do hear of how good he can be. And I remember seeing how good he was in a couple of games last season. So seeing that he's grabbed his hat-trick, he's the highest-scoring player right now, you can only be impressed, regardless of the team that you're a part of. You can really only be impressed by Watkins. And I think that's very healthy for the Premier League. More competitions with strikers who do very well can only really be a blessing for managers. Let's dive into the best game and worst game FPL-wise for game week eight. Which teams or which games do you think will have the highest scoring and the lowest scoring? Uh, for me, the highest scoring game, actually, I'd, I'd, I'd say would be the, the first fixture of the weekend, Spurs versus Luton. Um, simply because Spurs are at the top of their game. I'd probably say right now in the Premier League, they are the best performing team as we speak. So I'd probably say Spurs will be the highest scoring game. And in the lowest scoring game, probably it has to be Everton versus Bournemouth. You know, it's both teams who are not doing particularly well. I think both both teams are in the bottom half of the league, and they're not really offensive teams. Yeah, so I think um, Everton has uh, they've only scored four goals this entire season and Bournemouth have scored three. So that just tells you about the amount of work that their striking power puts in. But I don't expect them to score a lot of goals. What about you, Adam? Which one do you think is the highest scoring and the lowest scoring? I think I have to give the highest scoring to City versus Arsenal. Um, Ateta would want to prove a point that his old boss doesn't and wouldn't have it easy against his team every time. So that to me would be the uh, the highest scoring. I also I think I agree with you. I have to give the lower scoring to um, Everton. They it's honestly it's just depressing watching them play, and I just a fan of quality football. So when I don't see quality football coming through week in, week out. I just don't invest time into watching them. And like you said, their players aren't scoring enough goals for us to be convinced to, you know, both watch and include them in our squad. So that has to be the lowest scoring game FPL-wise for me as well. So we're looking right now for the Budget players for game week eight. I know the Champions League and the Europa Conference League and the Europa 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 League are in ongoing for this midweek. But who are those budget players we can bring in that can enable a lot of unlocking within either our midfields or our attack or our defense? 
I'd probably say uh, Paul Torres from um, Austin Villa. He plays pretty well, but then he flies fairly low under the radar. Not a lot, not a lot of people notice him, but he's a good player. In the midfield, Pedro Neto plays for a bad team, but he, you know, he he plays well individually. Even if you check um, the the fantasy, I think he's their best performing player. So, and he's pretty cheap. I think he's yeah, he's only five point five. So I'd say him. Yeah. What what um players will would you say are budget players looking into game week eight? I think for me, game week eight is a combination of so many things. Um uh, people will start to think that okay, you know, Saka is a bit too expensive or Salah is a bit too expensive or you know, having a play like Son is a bit too expensive. Maybe if you have one or two transfers, you can take out a Man City assets if you have three and bring in a cheaper option. For people who have Man City assets who aren't sure right now, they'll get to play a lot of games. And maybe your three Man City assets, two of them are strikers, one is a midfielder, two of them are strikers. One is a defender or maybe one is a striker, two midfielders. You can potentially sell one and bring in a cheaper option. Looking at, looking at Saka being injured because he went off very early on against Lens in the Champions League, maybe you can sell a Saka and then bring in a replacement like a Bowen, right? Saka is currently 8.5 million pounds. Bowen is 7.2. That can be a very good budget enabler for you. Or you can sell a Salah who's going for 12.5 and bring in a Madison who is a 7.9 for the game week eight, knowing that they're going in there to play Luton. If you're also quite confident in your Brighton assets, a direct replacement is selling Brian Bueno and bringing in Toma. That's only 0.1. A million pound difference, and I believe that can be a good asset for you to explore. Um, looking at the forwards, I think perhaps you can sell a, you can sell an Alvarez, you can sell Alvarez, and then bring in Oli Watkins, but that wouldn't be a positive move because Oli Watkins is your eight point zero. And Alvarez is going for seven. So unless you have a million pound in your account before you do those transfers, that can be some of the switches that I can go through. But I don't think for the forward, you should worry too much about it because the top three performing forwards are Watkins, Haaland and Alvarez. So if you already have a Haaland and an Alvarez like myself, you can perhaps look into getting rid of your expensive options with your midfield, maybe selling a Saka and bringing in a Watkins or selling a Salah and bringing in a Watkins. I think that can be some of the wise decisions to do moving forward. So now, Sabello, share with us your team for Game Week 8 and the players to look out for. My team for Game Week 8, um, I have Vicario in the post and uh, in my back four, I have Kevin Trippier, I have 
Paul Torres, and I have Saliba. I pick Robinson as well. Kind of sketchy, but I think he's gonna do well. Brighton is still, still, they're still bleeding from that lose, so I don't think they'll switch on immediately. But you never know; it's football. And then in the midfield, I have Kulusevski, Mitoma, and uh, an honourable mention would be Salah and Sabuslai. I would put them in if I have them. I have Mitoma, I have Neto as well. As I was saying, Neto is playing against Villa this upcoming week. And um, I think he'll do pretty well. And then up front, I have Isak as always. And like you just said, if you have an Alvarez, I definitely play him. And then Haaland. One thing about Haaland is that even though sometimes he plays bad, but he will score. Every now and then he'll get a goal. He doesn't go too long without getting a goal. And 100%. I had to take, yeah, I had to take out Bukayo Saka out of my squad. As you said, he got injured against Lens. So I doubt he'll feature in, in, in the weekend's fixture. And uh, how is your 11 looking? Uh, well, as always, bang average defenders so that I can pump more money up front. I'm yet to make my substitution for the game week, thinking of rolling it over for next week so I can have two. So my players, I've got Trafford in pole against um, Chelsea. I think Ariola would face a bit more shots and perhaps a goal can go through. But I'm, I'm a bit more confident with Burnley against Chelsea. So I've got Trafford in pole. I've got Bayer. Um, Kabori and Bell in my defense, not too expensive options. I've got Brian Buemo, I've got Son, Saka, Salah, and Bernardo Silva in my midfield. I'm very confident that Bernardo will be returning for City either midweek or by the beginning of game week eight as they go away to Arsenal. And then in my front two, I've got Alvarez. And Haaland. On my bench, I've got Ariola, I've got Ferguson, I've got Van Heck, and I've got Hogate. Hogate is, is only there as a um, placer for the price, but of course, when I get to use my wild card, I will get rid of him. I think if I'm to make a substitution, I would sell Saka and then bring in either a Madison or I'll bring in a Subosli. I'm yet to really um, determined on that. But I think you mentioning Soboslai was a very good mention. He's a, he's a top player and it's only going to get better for Liverpool moving forward. Now up to top captain picks. Who are your top three captain picks for Game Week 8 and why? Uh, this coming week, personally, I'm going to captain Kulisevsky. I expect him to, mm. to play well against um, Luton. I uh, decided to give Haaland a bit of a rest. He's held the captain's armband for some time. And I doubt he'd do better than Kulisovsky in this coming week because, well, Haaland is not a player that's particularly involved in, in you know, playmaking. He doesn't get too many touches on the ball, so... I couldn't make him captain. And then the second captain, um, 
I'd say Salah. Salah is coming up against Brighton. He does love to play against Brighton. So I'd say Salah is also one of those captains. And then the third one would be Julian Alvarez. You know, even though he's playing against my team, I mean, you got to admit he's a great player. 100%. He's, just, he's absolutely great. So those are my top three. What are your top three? I think you've got a very interesting mention in Kulisevsky. Um, one would think of captaining either Son or captaining Madison against a team like Luton, but perhaps it's something you're seeing that we are not seeing. So kudos on that. Uh, we hope that he does do well. Um, for me, I'm going to go for my first pick. I think I'm just going to go safe and captain Haaland. Why am I saying this? For two game weeks in a row, the people have captained, having given me the points that I want. And it's not any fault of DS, but FPL is very unforgiving. You will get left behind if you don't make the right decisions. And I don't want to be bleeding profusely just because I made the wrong decision. So I believe I'll captain Haaland first. Uh, then I'll go for Julian Alvarez and then my um, third pick will be a son. Salah, I'm not too convinced yet because last season, Brighton was almost like a kryptonite to Liverpool. And seeing that they would have to adapt after the loss to Spurs, it may be a bit more pressure on him. But as a Liverpool fan, I'd want him to do very well. I do have it in my team. So I may just vice-captain him and then leave the armband to either a son or to, you know, a Haaland. But yeah, let's let's see how let's see how that will pan out. Because I believe game week eight is going to be very interesting for the first game of the weekend and the last game of the weekend. There we have it, folks. A review of game week seven and a preview of game week eight on the African Fantasy Football Podcast. Tune in every Wednesday or Thursday for an episode where we dive into everything FPL and get ready for the upcoming game week. It's bye for now.